0: We are going to be in First Peter this morning, and thank you, Richard, for that song. That was beautiful. And we have been studying in First Peter. and In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about um, submissiveness. We talked about it in the area of submitting to the governing authorities, and we looked at how Christ submitted himself to those authorities, to the extreme. We have looked at not only did Christ submit himself to the authorities, um, but Christ submitted himself to uh, the father at all times while he walked this earth everything that the father desired jesus did that and if we're not careful then in our culture submission can be a dirty word it it can be something that we don't enjoy or appreciate uh, but in scripture submission is not like that submission is just in the order of how god has has designed things and made things And submission should not be looked at as a negative thing, but just a part of God's design and order. And just as um, we would never consider Jesus weak, I hope, (laughs) we would never consider Jesus as subservient, and yet he willingly submitted himself to different people. And it's because... Uh, Jesus did not come to be a ruling authority at that time. He came to serve. He came to be a carpenter. He came to be um, just a regular person, an unassumed person from an unassumed family, from an unassumed situation, uh, from parents who weren't even married yet. He was he was uh, born of a virgin, and and Jesus didn't. He didn't play by the rules that society or culture expected, and yet there were times and times and times again when he did, when he encouraged people to submit to the governing authorities, as we have read in the last couple of weeks, where he himself submitted to that. And in this speak of submission continues in First Peter. And when Peter is talking about um, this submission, he is not... Sp- writing to people who are just flourishing under the current government. He is writing to people who are experiencing, depending on which scholar you listen to, um, some varying amount of persecution. These Christians have, at minimum, they have been exiled, they have been scattered, and they are not together. It is not your typical communities um, that we see with Christians biblical communities, Christian communities that we see today, and uh, they're experiencing some suffering. And yet in the midst of that suffering and in the midst of possible persecution by the governing authorities, he says, submit. And if you want to know an example of that submission, he points us to Jesus. And so that's what we've been looking at in the midst of this rich study of First Peter, as is all of God's word. We get to First Peter chapter 3. And we start 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, with the word, likewise. And as you see on this title slide, honor your spouse for both of your sakes, um, we are going to talk about submission, even inside of a relationship. We're going to talk about the, the roles of husbands and wives. Um, and we see this connection, likewise. And remember, chapters and verses were put in, much later, after, after the canon, all 66 books of the Bible were agreed upon and they had been together for a while and then at some point they decided, you know what would make it easier for the people in the pews, rather than having to have the entire book of Isaiah memorized, um, we could say chapter 51, verse whatever. And so they went back later and put in these chapters and verses and these divisions Uh, They're not natural divisions, but they are very helpful in us locating where we're trying to to be when we're trying to be at the same place. And in chapter 3, likewise is a natural reference to what we saw at the end of chapter 2. Likewise, just as you are to submit to ruling authorities, just as Jesus submitted himself to the point of death, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband's. Um, Rose has this verse memorized, and she recites it each night before bed. No, I'm just playing. Um, don't, don't hurt me later, please. Uh, but here's what I do want to say, is that when we read a verse like this, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, and we'll continue that verse in just a moment. Um, but we, a lot of times, we bring things to the text with us. Our understandings and preconceived ideas about what this might mean, the way we were raised, our cultural upbringing might affect how we understand a verse like this. And I think it's important, don't cry yet, I, I promise this is going to be a good thing for wives, I promise, but... um but we have different understandings depending on how we were raised, where we were raised, uh, if we even have heard the Bible before, and if so, which parts of the Bible have we heard? Are we taking into the counsel of all of God's words, or are we just picking and choosing specific verses and making them mean what we want it to be? And so the other night in, in our Wednesday night gr- class, we have a, a new class uh, for 20s and 30-somethings, and so if, if it really, if you're after high school and uh, under 40, then that class is for you. If you want to come on Wednesday nights, we would love to have you, and we were talking about discipleship the other night, and um, I asked what a verse meant, and Rose said, well, I'm not sure exactly what it means, but I know what it can't mean because uh, the Bible says this here and this here and this here. And a lot of times, that's how we need to approach a scripture. If we want to understand the fullness of what a verse means, it has to be in context and in in perfect unity with the rest of scripture. If if it's not in unity with the rest of scripture, then we have to ask ourselves, is our understanding of that verse correct? Because we know that the verse is correct because this is God's word. It's, it's without error, right? And so if, if there's conflict, it must be in our limited understanding. And so in a verse like this, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband, I think it's extremely important to consider what all other scriptures say about wives and about women in general. I think that this is very much related to the role of women in a certain culture and so I think that those are some of the things that we need to talk about and discuss and look at. And so, first of all, is being subject, does that equal something that's not good? No. Jesus was subject. Jesus, if we think that Jesus is good, and I do, by the way, if you're, in case you were wondering, if we believe that Jesus is God, and God himself was even subject to the Father God himself was subject to the ruling authorities. God, Jesus himself was subject to different relationships while he was here on this earth. And, and he still is under the authority of the Father. And, and yet they're in perfect unity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all God. We, we're told in Scripture that um, they're three in one and yet one in three. And Terry is going to teach us later how that all works out. But anyway... Uh, when we look at the the, the trinity, it, we have one God in three persons, and they're in perfect unity. That's how they're one. If they weren't in perfect unity, they couldn't be one. And so when it says, wives, be subject or submit, when it says this, then this is talking about within a certain role that we are to, to play, just as uh, God himself, Jesus himself was in a role. Now, Look, I think that when we talk about the things that we're about to talk about, we have to be patient with one another. We have to be gracious toward one another um, because my opinions on this might be different than your opinions on this, which might be different than the person next to you, their opinion on this. And so all I'm going to try to get us to do this morning is to look at what the different passages of Scripture say and for us to help us uh, Try to determine exactly what this means. So, let's talk about women in church in general, okay? Carol, you're on the front row. Sorry, I'm picking on you. Uh, This is the last time Carol sits on the front row, and these pews will be empty next week. Um, But Carol, uh, you need to not speak in church. Cheyenne. I know it's not the front pew, but I mean you're close enough. When you speak in church, uh, you can speak, but cover your head first, okay? Tanya, I'm scared to even tell Tanya something. <laughs> Tanya, you can speak in church, but you have to have David's permission uh, before you speak. Before you speak, and if you have a question, then you should go home and ask David what about that question. Okay? All right. Did you know that scripture says all those things that I just said? And how can all three of them be right at the same time? The reason they're right is because of culture. We have to take note of the culture in which we live. And if Paul is in a culture where women do not speak in public, he's not rebelling against that. He believed, I'm sure, as I believe, that the gospel can transform culture. Without us um, boycotting and doing some uh, public demonstration, the gospel, when it when it gets a hold of a culture, that culture will change. Do we believe that? Okay, the gospel is transformative in that manner. And so, what we have to do is we have to take note of the culture in which we live. In our culture is different than the many cultures that Paul addresses in Scripture. And so he goes to one place and he says, don't speak in church to women because that was the culturally appropriate thing for women to do or not do. And in another place, he says, you can speak but cover your head. And men, if you cover your heads, it's dishonoring God, right? He says this in another culture. And then to another culture, he says, when you speak, make sure that you have your husband's permission. And so different cultures say different things. Now, there's one thing that predates culture or predates the law, predates rules, and that is that God has made man the head of his household, and this is going back to Adam, and even in the New Testament, when Paul refers to the relationship between husband and wife, he refers to it as the husband is the head of the household, okay? Now, there, so there is a, a certain level of submission, and submission to be subject, for women to be subject, as we read here. But that submission should not be viewed in some negative light or in some light that holds people back. Do we ever think that the Father held Jesus back from accomplishing his purpose on earth? No. A husband should never hold a a wife back from accomplishing great things. A husband should love her, support her, and, and, and... Raise her as much as he is able. Um, I didn't mean it like that. Come on, man. If I was picking up Rose, it would just be like... Uh, anyway, but raise her to new levels. A husband should, should desire to see his wife excel in, in the gospel, in the, the home in the workplace if she works in society we should desire to see that we should desire to see female leaders in our country we should desire to see that and and desire is one thing but producing those leaders is another and i believe that the church has a responsibility to produce strong female leaders and i believe that this is biblical let's think of some people like deborah who was a judge who was a strong leader of Israel in a time when they desperately needed rescue. And she was a leader in that way. Let's think of people, we we hear of Priscilla and Aquila in in the New Testament. uh, Priscilla's the wife, Aquila's the husband, um, or Aquila. I I went to school with a girl named Aquila, but anyway. Um, So when you look at their relationship, we see Priscilla telling this man about Jesus, but her husband is right there with her, side by side, but it appears in the Scripture that Priscilla is the one teaching. And then we see Phoebe in the Scripture. Phoebe is a deaconess. I don't know what a deaconess is, but we can figure it out together. But Phoebe is a deaconess, and so does that mean she's a female deacon, or does that mean that she's a wife of a deacon? Whatever the case is, she is a leader. In Romans 16, when Paul is talking about the people who are co-laboring beside him for the spread of the gospel, he mentions women as co-workers. He actually mentions specifically Priscilla and Aquila in that passage also. And so we know that this does not say women can't excel. Women can't be leaders. When it says be subject to your own husband, it's talking about hopefully within a relationship where the husband is lifting up the wife, where he is, they're in perfect unity and the wife is lifting up the husband. Hopefully it's in that kind of relationship. But are all marriages for Christian women that way? No. And so we have to realize that not everybody has a perfect marriage. Only Rachel and Andy in here, for example. That's because you don't have kids. Uh, No, I'm just picking. We have to realize that we have a responsibility um, to the people around us to to understand that just because uh, a situation is biblical and ideal, It is biblical for a husband and wife to become one and to be united from here to the end of time. That is a biblical concept. It's there, it's given to reflect the unity between Christ and his bride, the church, and how he will never forsake her. Um, It's meant to do that. Do all marriages do that? No. It would be great if every wife had a husband who loved the Lord and who put him first, and who cherished her, and loved her, and desired the best for her. But do all Christian wives, or non-Christian wives, have a husband like that? No. And so, for you wives, who put your faith in the Lord, and I know that not everyone in here is married right now, but as we walk through Scripture together, there are times when we look at... um, different roles that don't fit us. Uh, I'm not a wife, for example, but I can learn some things from this passage. And I believe that we all can. And not just of how wives should live, but about how submission works inside of a relationship with God and in uh, relations throughout our culture in general. Likewise, wives, be subject, subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... So right here... It's, it's making that concession immediately that, this, yes, he's speaking to Christian women, but not all these Christian women will have Christian husbands. So does, does that, um, how many of you are uh, in school and have semester tests coming up? Anybody? Anybody exempt from any of those semester tests? Yeah, that's right. I know. I heard you earlier. Don't rub it in. There, there are people who have to take those tests. But it's good to be exempt So, wouldn't it be nice if you Christian wives who did not have godly husbands were exempt from submitting to that husband? Maybe, in our minds, that will not be nice. Uh, However, the exemption is not coming in this verse. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now, this isn't saying don't share the gospel with your husband. This is just saying don't nag. Don't constantly, why don't you go to church with me? I can't believe you don't go to church with me. There is a way that you can be a Christian wife who turns, a way that turns him further from the Lord. You don't want that. You want your, your walk, your life with him to reflect Jesus so that he can desire the relationship that you already have. You want to be the kind of woman Who wins him by the conduct of your life, by the conduct of his wife. And so, verse 2, by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So wives who are in here whose husbands do not love Jesus or they, they don't follow him in the way that they should, I'm sorry that you're in that situation. And I mean that. I'm not just saying that. I really do mean that. Life can be so hard. It can be brutal. And it's brutal for me, and I have an extremely supportive spouse who loves me, who um, is there for me, who, as far as I know, she doesn't talk behind my back. If she does, don't tell me, okay? Um, She encourages me. She lifts me up, and I hope that I do the same for her. And with that support, life is still really hard. I can't imagine how life must feel for those of you who have to battle with not having a godly spouse to do that with, um, or for those of you whose spouses have passed on, or whatever the case might be. But that empathy does not exempt us from our responsibility to follow God the way that he has called us to. So the thing that we can do, and this is for men and women, if you live your life in honor to God, if you honor him with your actions, and you truly love him and love your spouse, love others, then you can have a winsome personality that your, your obedience won't save people, but it might be exactly what God uses To draw them into a relationship with him. That they may be one in verse 1 it says. So verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear. And this isn't forbidding these things. It's just saying this shouldn't be your major. Your focus. This shouldn't be what all your attention is given to. If all of your attention is on making sure that you look great on the outside but you're rotten on the inside, no good. If all of your attention is, if, if, in fact, I won't even say all of your attention, if the focus that you put on your external appearance hinders the internal purity of, of your heart, then there, there's an issue. Verse 4, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty Of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Imperishable, imperishable beauty. Imperishable. How many times are we going to hear that word in 1 Peter? Right? Our salvation, which is kept by him in heaven, is imperishable. The beauty, the inward transformation that he makes in us, that transformation, if in Christ, is imperishable. Do you think that things that are imperishable, and that's a hard word to say sometimes, do you think that those things have value? Absolutely, they have value. And so, make sure women, and men for that matter, in the culture we live in, that you care more about your internal purity and heart for God and others than you do about your external appearance. Verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, what Peter doesn't tell us for some reason is that he calls him Lord while she's laughing at God. Uh, But it is important to note that Even a woman like Sarah, who was incredible, who did a lot of submissive things, but also was a human being and made some mistakes. And if you know the story of Sarah, then you know some of those mistakes that I'm talking about. Um, She is used as someone to look up to in the way that she submitted to her husband, the way that she was subject to her husband, meaning that she allowed him to be the head of the household. Don't worry, women. I'm getting to the men. We're going to close with it. I'm going to hit them hard. Verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Frightening. So, look, if we are following Christ, if we have been transformed in a way that it's not just what we say, but it's externally obvious also. It's, it's inward and it works its way to the outside. If we've been transformed in that way, if you have wives, then you have a relationship with Jesus and you should follow the examples in, of faith given in the uh, Bible. In this example, Sarah. So just as I'm telling you to follow the examples of Priscilla and Phoebe and Deborah and these women who were warriors for the faith, We also follow the example of Sarah. We also follow the example of the many women throughout Scripture who were submissive. We follow the example of the Proverbs 31 woman. We follow these examples. We don't get to pick and choose which examples we follow. We follow them all. And so while we live in a culture where, uh, I'm appreciative of this, where women can have all sorts of jobs where women can have all sorts of responsibilities. I'm sure we're going to have a woman president before too long, uh, maybe uh, one of these twins over here. Who knows? But we live in a culture that sometimes is more lifting up of women than the church is. That should never be the case. Never. But we should make sure that we are lifting up women in a biblical sense also. That we should lift up every individual while letting them know that they are still subject to someone. If no one else, God. But I don't know about you in here, man or woman, I'm subject to a lot of people. Um, On April 15th, I was subject to pay my taxes. When I'm driving to Fort Smith, I'm subject to the speed limit we are subject to a lot of rules and a lot of people and that doesn't take away who we are or the influence that we can have. And if you ask me, the best leaders are ones who understand that even they are subject to things and ultimately to God. In closing, I told you it was coming. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, this was in a culture where this was a radical thing to say. They're, they're being told that you're not just like this owner of your wife. You are to live with her in an understanding way. Uh, hey, wives, any of your husbands have trouble with that? No, I'm just don't don't point them out. Showing honor to the woman. As the weaker vessel. Now, this is just saying that typically a husband in stature is stronger than a woman, uh, but it's also using this to, to bring a sense to the imperishable beauty that can be held within such a fragile vessel. But isn't that like all of us in jars of clay? We have the, this, the Holy Spirit in these fragile vessels. Bodies that will pass away. Showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. So you should take special care with your wife. I'm not saying you have to baby her. Some women don't want to be babied. But you have to make sure that you are caring for her in a way that she deserves. Because what is internal is valuable. And we are to show honor to the woman. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. They are heirs with you. It's a partnership. Two become one. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Marriages are supposed to be partnerships. And you could say, but how can it be a partnership if the wife has to be subject to her husband? And I would say that you just have to change your cultural understanding of what it means to be subject Because Jesus is subject to the Father, and yet they have unity. And there is a partnership there. And it is a beautiful partnership that we see result in the most valuable thing that humans can have, which is salvation and a relationship with God. And so in unity, we see the blessing of that. And for husbands and wives, for you husbands out there, you should realize that your wife is your partner. And when we talk about partnership within the church, fellowship, koinonia, the strongest koinonia that you should have should be with your spouse. The the strongest relationship you should have with a human should be with your spouse. And for those of you who are Christians in here, you should do everything in your power to make sure that you are loving your spouse as God loves them. That if they're not a Christian, that you are doing everything in your power, in, in obedience to God, in love to your spouse, to win them to the Lord. I'm not saying that you beat them over the head with the Bible until they come to church. Although some, some people might need that. I don't know. I'm not in your marriage. But if what you've been doing isn't working, then pray about what you might could do differently. And if what you are not doing is not working, then get on your knees and continue to cry out to God. And for those of you who are blessed with a spouse who loves the Lord, let them know how much you appreciate and love them. Let them know the good things that you see them doing for the Lord and for you and for your family. And for those of you in here who maybe aren't married yet or any longer, or whatever the case might be, then the question is, is what can you do right now to honor God the way that you're supposed to? We can't change our past, but we can determine the steps of our future. If we're walking according to His steps, the path that He has laid before us, then He has already determined those steps. And we can walk obediently in them, even if we have made mistakes in the past. And there is forgiveness in Christ. Okay, if you look at this banner, it's not like the truths of Easter stopped applying after last week. We are forgiven for the mistakes that we have made. And I know that we have a desire to beat ourselves up over our mistakes that we have made. In some that resulted in in, in the end of marriages, in some that have resulted in conflict in, in marriages or whatever the case might be, we can't change the things that we've done, but we can make sure that we're asking forgiveness for the things that we have done. And I I know this is a touchy subject, and this is the point of the scripture today, so I won't stay long. I'll just say that we have a responsibility in relationship when we have done something wrong to ask for forgiveness for those things. We have a responsibility in relationship when we have done wrong, to confess our sins to God, to repent of those things and do right in the future. And so where are you this morning? Maybe you're in here and you have an extremely happy marriage. And you you are just, as I was preaching about what a godly wife and husband looks like, you were grateful. Well, praise God. What can you do to mentor younger couples? What can you do to share your life with younger couples so that they can see what that looks like. Don't worry, Haven. I'm almost done. She's my timer. Uh, and, and for some of you in here, you are still married, but you've been struggling. You've been having conflict and turmoil. Uh, that's marriage. We have those. And we have to work through those together. And if you would like to sit down with me and to talk through some things, then I would love to do that. I have some training in that area, and if we talk about something I'm not equipped to handle, I have no problem with referring you to someone who is equipped to handle it. And for those of you who are in here who um, are married, but your spouse is not a believer, then this speaks specifically to you. You can conduct your lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel and conduct your lives in a way that will be winsome to, to your spouse. And just remember that you can't change someone, God has to change them. But He can use our actions and our obedience to, to get their attention and make a difference. So, where are you this morning? And let me close with this just word to husbands, husbands, or future husbands. Please be the kind of men that your wives cannot wait to subject themselves to. Be the kind of men who your wives trust you to where it's not a burden to submit, but it's a joy and a pleasure. Be the kind of men who empower your wives to do great things. And I mean, I'm looking at so many incredible women whose husbands have done that in this room right now. Um, But be the kind of husbands who empower your wives to be all they can be for your family and beyond, for God's glory. And let's, let's continue to search God's word and see what it says about the kind of men and women that we should be, whether it's inside of our marriages or whatever relationship it might be.